My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. A lady's husband had heart surgery. His heart wasn't doing very well, and while he was recuperating, she received a letter that her husband had inherited a million dollars. So she was worried about her husband in his heart condition. She was worried that if she told him this, he'd have a heart attack. And so she went to the pastor and said, Pastor, would you help me with this? I know you're really good with words. Could you kind of break Joe really easily into this, that he's inherited a million dollars so that he won't have a heart attack. And he said, sure, I'll be glad to help you. So he went to see Joe and he said, Joe, if you had one million dollars, what would you do with it? And Joe responded really quickly. He said, why, pastor, I'd give it to you. Unfortunately, the pastor died of a heart attack. (laughs) Today, we want to begin a series of messages on the Proverbs, from the Proverbs, and specifically about money Proverbs. And I want to talk for the next few weeks about some biblical tips on uh, on handling money. You might want to say, why are we going to talk about money? Doesn't the church always talk about money? Well, if you say that, that means you're a guest here this morning because we don't talk about money very often here. And, uh, but, but I think it's good that we do. Let me give you a couple reasons why. Finances is, is one of the major things that Americans in our culture around us, and I would imagine it's true in the church as well, we worry about finances. 76% of Americans say that financial worries cause them stress. Statistics say that 40% of marriages that end in divorce, they end in divorce because of the stress of finances. That's a major contributor, 40% to, uh, to divorce. I think one of the things that caused a lot of people to stress in 2020 with the pandemic was, what about my finances? What's going to happen? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be able to pay the bills? That sort of thing. But another reason for us to talk about finances from time to time is that uh, they say that Finances or money is one of the things that Jesus talked about more often than any other subject. Not not necessarily about money per se, but maybe how money affects other parts of our walk with God. So he talked about money an awful lot to the point that he said this when talking about loving God. He said, you can't love and serve God and love and serve money at the same time. So um, so this is another reason to talk about money. So that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about, about money, and I've got some specific things that I want us to address from the Proverbs on the issue of money. Now, a couple of reminders as we begin from the Proverbs, just in case, so you need to remember these things. Number one is that Proverbs are an accumulation of a bunch of different tidbits of wisdom put together in chapters. So in other words, if you go to Proverbs 10 or 20 or whatever number you choose, it's really not going to be about one subject. It's going to be about a whole bunch of different subjects, one one proverb after the other maybe dealing with different things. Like the first one might be about money. The second one might be about marriage. The third one about lying and et cetera, et cetera. So remember that. Proverbs are, are not really arranged uh, categorically in, as far as the number of the proverb goes. And the second thing about Proverbs is remember this, that they're principles and not promises. They're guides and not necessarily guarantees. Meaning that generally Proverbs hold true But we live in a world of possibilities, and we live in a world, which I believe anyway, people have autonomous freedom. So we can make choices that don't always 
end up leading us to what we thought. Other people's choices can affect our lives. And so these are principles that generally hold true, but, uh, but there are exceptions to them. And so today I want us to turn to Proverb 30, if you would. And I want us to look at some financial wisdom in the prayer of Agur. So Agur penned Proverbs 30. We don't really know anything about Agur other than his words in this particular proverb. Uh, this is the only place he's mentioned in the Bible. So I, I made the mistake this morning. I made the mistake this morning of reading the entire proverb in our prayer time. And uh, yeah, it was, he, he touches on so many issues. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 9 uh, this morning. And even then, we're going to have a number of things to talk about. But I want to look at verses 1 through 9, and the, and the two major verses, I think, are 8 and 9, are the ones that we're going to look at for the financial wisdom. But, but I do want to show you some things about Agur from, from the first couple of verses from, uh, from the chapter. Now, verse 1 basically says, Agur, the son, I can't remember his dad's name, but I didn't write it down. But he's writing to two, evidently two friends, and there's some, there's some question about whether he's writing to two friends or whether those words, which actually mean something, are saying he's writing with that kind of mentality. But I'm, I'm going to say he's writing to those two friends that you see mentioned in, in, verses, in verse 1. So here's what we learn from him about Agur in verse 2. And here's the first thing we learn about him, that he was not an arrogant man, not a prideful man, but he was rather a man of humility. So verse 2 says, I am more stupid than any other person, and I lack hum a human's ability to understand. So Agur is saying, I'm not particularly smart, and he's using hyperbole by saying, I'm the dumbest man on the planet, right? I can't even understand things from a, from a human's perspective, he says. What he's trying to say is, I'm not, I'm not all that wise. I'm not, I'm not necessarily gifted in, in understanding. And so he's, he's claiming humility there. In verse 3, he says, I have not gained wisdom and have no knowledge of the Holy One who has, gone, who has gone up to heaven and come down. Who has gathered the winds in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? He's talking about God here. What is his name and what is the name of his son, if you know? And so it's, pretty, it's kind of clear that Agur is familiar with the book of Job. Job was one of the oldest books written in your Old Testament. Even though it's, it's not chronologically listed as first, it's one of the older books in the Old Testament. And if you know the book of Job, at the end of the book of Job, God asked Job a bunch of questions. A bunch of questions like, uh, who has gone up to heaven and come down from there? Who has gathered the wind in his hands? Who has bound the waters uh, in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? God asked Job all those questions. And they're questions that Job couldn't answer. And you remember at the end, Job says, man, I'm sorry, God. You're just, you're far beyond me. I, I had no right to question you. Well, Agur's kind of saying the same thing. I, I don't have any wisdom. I, I don't know all the things that God knows. And so he's, he's sort of alluding, I think, almost back to the book of, of Job. But I do find it interesting, some of the things that he says. Look at him with me again. He says, who has gone up to heaven and come down? You know, Jesus talks about that in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, he says, who has, come, who has gone up to heaven and come down from heaven? Only the Son of God has, right? So Jesus, I think maybe he's picking up on that verse. But then, but then Agur asks this, what is God's name? And what is the name of his son, if you know? Well, we do know his name today. You know, progressive revelation. We do know God's name. His name is Yahweh. His name is I Am. He calls himself all kinds of things. We do know the name of, of God, and we know the name of his son. Right? 
What's the name of his son, everyone? His son's name is Jesus. God, God become like us. The Son of God is, is the Lord Jesus. So I thought that was interesting. He's basically saying to his readers back way when he wrote this, he's saying, you know, who knows God's name? Who knows the name of his son? Well, today, in this century, at this time, we do know his name, and we do know the name of his son. The second thing we learn about Agur is that he has a deep regard for God's word. Look at verse 5. He's a, he's a humble man. He's a man who, who loves and trusts God's word. Verse 5, every word of God is pure. Your translation may have it differently there. Um, he, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words or he will rebuke you and you will be proved a liar. Whatever Agur had as the word of God back then, Agur regarded it as pure. And most likely that word pure carries the idea of truth. Right? That, that Agur believed God's word to be true. He said, don't detract from them. Don't, don't. The book of Revelation says this at the very end. It says, don't add to God's word. Don't take away from God's word. Agur is kind of saying the same thing. Because he says, if you do, God's going to rebuke you. And he's going to prove you wrong. And you'll prove yourself to be a liar. Here's the third thing we know about Agur from this proverb. He wanted to be faithful to God. He wanted to be a godly man. And we know this because his prayer in the next verses. And it's in his prayer that we're going to find the financial wisdom that I'd like us to look at as we begin this series on, on uh, money proverbs, okay? I, I think we're going to find financial wisdom that we should all pray for, we should depend on God for, and we should, and we should seek. And so here are the two things that Agor asked from God. And he asked that God might grant him these two things before he dies. So if you would, this is like Agor's spiritual bucket list. This is what he wants to be true in his life before he dies. Now, now I don't believe, let me say this before we read the text. I don't believe that Agor is implying that God is solely responsible to bring these things about. That it's up to God alone whether you do this or do that. I don't think that's what Agor is saying. But I do believe Agor recognizes his weaknesses in this area. And, and so he's, he's asking asking God, hey, do whatever it takes that, that I might, that this might be true in my life. Help me with this. And I, don't, I don't think he's saying, God, it's, it's up to you whether this is true or not. I don't think that's what he's saying by this prayer. But he is saying, God, make sure this happens in my life because he recognizes his weaknesses. So here's the first thing he prays to God for. And he says, God, uh, keep me from falsehood and deceitful words. You see that verse 7? Two things I ask from you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Now listen, everyone. It's Agur's responsibility to be a man of integrity, to be a man of truth. And it's your responsibility as well. It's your responsibility to keep lying words and falsehood, deceitful words from your life. It's your responsibility to be a man or a woman of integrity. It falls and lies on you, okay? Uh, Leviticus 19.11 says, You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. 
Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. I've always found it interesting of the seven things that the author of Proverbs says in those verses, of the seven things he says are an abomination to God, two of them are about lying or about being false, or not telling the truth. So those are two big things in God's mind and heart. In the New Testament, we find the same thing. Colossians 3, here's Paul writing to the church at Colossae. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So here's my point. Listen, we, we can't shuck it off on God. God, help me not be a liar. Help, God, don't make me a liar. God, don't make me a false person. Don't make me a deceiver. Like as if it's totally arbitrarily up to God whether I'm a liar or whether I'm a truthful person. That is not true. The responsibility lies with you. And it starts with you. You are not to be a liar. And you are not to be an untruthful person. You are not to be a deceiver. You are to be an honest person. And like Paul said to the Colossians, he said, put off the old person with its practices and put on the new person who's in Christ, who, who can actually put off lying and stealing and all that kind of stuff. So, but here's, Agur's, here's the reason for Agur's prayer, I think anyway. I think Agur is praying this because he recognizes how weak he is. And I think he recognizes how prone he's going to be to lie, how prone he's going to be to be a deceitful person, how prone he's going to be to be dishonest. And so here's what I think he's praying. I think he's praying, God, do whatever it takes that I not be a lying person. God, help me. Do whatever it takes in my life to, that, to help me choose to not walk in falsehood. And I wonder, do you pray like that? Do you pray, God, do whatever it takes to not let me sin. Do whatever it takes so that I'm a truthful person and not a liar and not a thief and not a, you know, you just plug in the, the, the thing that God doesn't want us to be. Do you, do you pray like that? God, do whatever it takes. And it's scary to pray that. It's scary to pray that. I remember Anne, Anne said this numerous times, that she would pray for our children, do whatever it takes, Lord, that they would follow after you. And, you know, and if we think about that, what, what might that mean? What, that might, what, what might that mean that God would do whatever it takes so that we would follow after him and be faithful? So that's the first thing he asked. And remember, my, 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 what we know about Agur is he wants to be a godly man. And, uh, and the two things that he's praying for before he dies, one of them is that, God, that I not be a liar and a thief and a dishonest person. But then we come to the second thing he prays for. And here's where we find the financial wisdom that I want to hone in on. And, and I guess if I was a short preacher, maybe we would have just focused on here. But I just didn't think it was right not to talk about that other stuff to give you context. So here's the second thing he prays for. He says, God, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal profaning the name of my God. His prayer is really simple, isn't it? You see it right there, right? Please, God, don't give me poverty and don't give me wealth. Don't give, me, don't give me lack and don't give me so much. Rather, he says, give me just what I need, Lord. 
And again, I don't believe that Agor is, is believing that being poor or rich is an arbitrary choice that God just makes for us and says, boom, I'm going to make rich rich, and I'm going to make Jamie rich, and I'm going to make Kent rich, I'm going to make Jimmy poor. Not that I'm poor at all, right? But you get my point. I don't think God's arbitrarily just saying, I want this guy to be rich, this guy to be poor. I don't think, that what, I don't think that's what our Agor believes. I don't think that's even true. Generally speaking, and all of the things being equal, wealth is not evil or bad. In fact, the Bible says that wealth or having enough is the reward for diligent and honest labor. Conversely, poverty, and again, these are proverbs. They don't, they don't always hold true because, you know, there, there are circumstances that don't fit. But generally, poverty is a consequence of overindulgence and deceit. And, uh, and sloth and, and laziness. Listen to these Proverbs. Here's Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Proverbs 20.13. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 28, 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Now, here's what that last proverb means. That last proverb means to stay away from get-rich schemes. Don't try to get rich with schemes. Get rich, he says, in all of these other proverbs, by working your land, by working, by being diligent, by being, being a person who's not lazy. Wealth built up over time by careful and cautious labor will last. Now remember this. Proverbs are principles. They're not absolute promises. They're not absolute guarantees. So I think what Agor is asking God is, God, in spite of all I do, please don't let poverty come to me. Please don't, please don't let me be poor. And then he gives us the danger of being poor. You see it in the text, right? What's the danger of being poor? The danger of being poor is that I might steal to provide for my needs and thus profane the name of God. I might act immorally to take care of my needs. And he says, God, I don't want to do that. Poverty makes our physical needs urgent. And the urgency of our needs being met can tempt us to justify meeting those needs uh, with wrongdoing, like dishonesty or stealing or embezzlement or some other form of thievery. And so Agor is praying, Lord, please don't let me be poor. And again, you know, whether you're poor or rich, generally speaking, is going to depend on whether you are willing to diligently apply yourself and work, okay, or whether you're going to be slothful and deceitful and just not working. That's generally, but that's not always the case. It's not always the case. And this, this is why, and, and, and it's not always the case, and the Bible recognizes that so that God says an awful lot about poverty, right? He says, you know, there's, we need to care for the poor. So isn't this almost like a contradiction? Hey, poverty comes as a result of your behavior. But at the same time, God's saying, take care of the poor. He also says this about the poor, that there is an awful lot of injustice done to the poor. That the rich have means to take advantage of the poor. 
So they're able to steal their land or they're able to not pay them much because they have need. And so they're willing to work for labor that's, for, that's less than honest, an honest pay. So the Bible talks an awful lot about if you have, if you have money to not treat the poor uh, uh, unjustly. So uh, am I confusing you? I don't want to confuse you. I want to say there's a general principle that hard work leads out of poverty and into blessing, right? But at the same time, God recognizes that poverty can come on us when it's not our fault. And he's saying here, Lord, please protect me from poverty because I'm afraid that in my poverty, I might be tempted to take care of my need in a wrong way. Furthermore, he goes, furthermore, I would say that he would pray this because poverty can lead to despair. And despair can lead us to reject the Lord. Despair can lead us to abdicate our responsibility. Despair can lead us to escape that despair with drugs and other kinds of addictions. It can lead us to, uh, to do wrong, to, take, to cover up the pain of our despair. Or um, sometimes we, we might feel like in our poverty that um, we are justified in, uh, in, in doing wrong things to meet that need when we are not. So, so Agar says, God, please don't let me be poor. Now, most of us, listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Most of us would pray the same thing. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be poor. Please don't let me be poor. I don't know so much if it's the honor of God that we're so concerned about, like Agar prays. A lot of times it's, Lord, please don't let me be poor because I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer under the... Under the under how poverty makes us suffer. I don't want to suffer that, so please don't let me be poor. You know, let me be rich. But most of us will have a hard time praying, Lord, please don't let me be rich. Please don't let me be wealthy, right? Because let's be honest, we, we, want, to be, we want to be wealthy. Now, again, I need to hasten and say this. I'm not saying that wealth or riches or money is inherently wrong. I'm not saying that at all. In Proverbs 10:22, Solomon said this, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Here's another one. Godliness and riches linked together. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Proverbs 22, 4. So, so Agor... He, he recognizes all of that, but he also recognizes an intrinsic danger of being rich. Do you see it in the text? What's the intrinsic danger of being rich? You answer me. What is it according to the text? Can't hear you. You won't trust God. You'll deny the Lord. He specifically says this, I might deny God saying, who is the Lord? Now, here's what he recognizes. Now, pay attention, everyone. Here's what he recognizes. He says, when we are rich, it's really easy to forget God. We don't need God because our money becomes our security. We trust in our money rather than in God. And so our, our, our Savior said of riches, you remember this? Remember what he said of riches? He says it's, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle we're not sure exactly what he meant by that, but it, there, there's obviously the improbability of whatever it meant exactly. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. 
And, and it's because riches become, and this is what Agor recognizes. He says, Lord, if I'm rich, there's a danger of me denying you. Moses warns the Israelites of this. And this is what he says to them in Deuteronomy 8 as they're going into the land. Just listen. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Charles Bridges says, too often the more we receive from God, the less he receives from us. And as we prosper in this life, we are impoverished in the spirit. When we begin to trust in ourselves and our resources, we begin to say, I don't need God. I've got enough in the bank. You know, we might give lip service to God, but we forget God. And that's what Agar says, I don't want to do. Here's what Moses said. I'm going to read it to you again. Beware lest your heart say, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. I remember talking with a, wealth, a wealthy man. And this wealthy man began to say to me, look what I have done. Look what I have created. Look at all this wealth that I have done. And he forgot that it is God who gave him the power to get wealthy. It's God who gave him those abilities. Now, let me give you two reasons real quickly why you and I should not put our trust in wealth. Here's the first one. You should not put your trust in your riches and in your money because it's not going to help you on the day of judgment. It's not going to help you on the day you stand before the Lord. Here, here's what Proverbs 11.4 says. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Money leads people to believe that they don't have to worry about life after death. Maybe they don't worry about it. Maybe they just think death, this is the end and I don't care. I, I'm going to die and that's good. I'm good with that. But God promises eternal life to anybody who wants him and wants life. And a lot of times we think that our money is going to buy us that eternal life. I, I, you know, I've watched rich people. I have some in my family. And, uh, and actually, I consider myself to be rich. But, you know, rich as we talk about uber rich, right? And, and I've noticed that uber rich people think that they can get whatever they want with their money. And they often can because we are so bound by money. And, you know, all those memes out there, what would you do for $70 million? Would you give up an eye for a million dollars, et cetera, all that? Because money has such a pull on us. And so money tends to make us think that, hey, eternal life is bought. And by the way, remember the verses that talk about how wealth is a reward for godliness? So a lot of times people who are wealthy begin to think, well, I must be right with God. I must be right with God because, hey, I'm wealthy. In fact, in Jesus' day, that was the standard fare. If you had a lot of money, then you're right with God, right? Jesus came along and said, that's not really true. That's not true. Wealth can't be an indicator of being right. It's not the only indicator of being right with God. And so, and so don't put your trust in your wealth or in your money because on the day of judgment, it's not going to profit you anything. Here's another proverb, 11.28, saying the same thing. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, 
but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. I think that's talking about death. I think that's talking about how the, the, the righteous or the person who trusts in riches is going to fall and will be destroyed, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. They're going to get to live. Now, this proverb is not against legitimate trusting in money to use it for accomplishments. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about using or believing that somehow money is going to help us when we stand before God. And the Bible says it's appointed for us to die, and then we all stand before God. And so on that day, your money's not going to help you. The righteous man doesn't flourish because he's poor. The righteous man flourishes because he's righteous. The righteous man has eternal life because he's righteous in the Lord, not because he's wealthy. Here's one more proverb, Proverbs 119. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. It's going to take your life. And the second reason why I think that uh, we shouldn't put our trust in money is it's fleeting and transitory. They say that when the Roman soldiers, a general, came back from winning a big victory, he would ride through the town, everybody would be out, ticker tape, parade, but in the cart with him would be one of his servants. And the whole time that he's marching through the city and they're praising him, the servant would be whispering in the general's ear, all glory is fleeting. All glory is fleeting. Because the generals wanted to remind themselves that power and riches and all of that is fleeting and transitory. And it doesn't last. Here's what the Proverbs say about this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. What that means, what the proverb means is this. You can have riches today, but they can disappear tomorrow. You know, listen, folks, if the world's economy crashes, all of our IRAs and all of our retirements and all of that stuff that's in digital money or whatever, it'll be gone. In, in, in the twinkling of an eye, it's gone. You can have the biggest 401k here, and you can have the biggest retirement account of any of us in this, in this room right now, but here's the deal. If it all crashes, it'll all be gone, just like that. And that's what, that's what the Proverbs says. This is why you shouldn't put your trust in money. Why never trust in your money? Because it's very transitory, and it might fly off to heaven, as the Proverbs says. It might be gone from you in a, in a, in a heartbeat. So back to Agur's prayer. So Agur says, God, please don't make me poor, because I don't want to defame your name by becoming a thief. And God, please don't make me rich because I recognize that if I'm rich, the tendency is going to be for me to disown you, to leave you, to not trust in you anymore because I'm going to put my trust in, in all those riches that I have. And so he's, then he says this, feed me with the food that I need. I don't know if you get the same vibe I do, but doesn't that sound like Jesus when he taught us to pray? Remember when he taught us to pray what he said? He said, pray like this, Father, give me this day my daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. God, provide for my needs today. That's sort of what Agor is saying. Lord, provide for me. Agor is not saying, please make me poor. He's not saying that. Remember, he just got through saying, please don't let me be poor. He's saying, God, basically provide for my needs. Make sure I have enough, but help me not to live on too much. So here's my application for this this morning. How do, how do you and I live financially so as to find the sweet spot of Agur's prayer? 
And again, I want to say this. I want you to understand, I don't believe that Agur is uniformly or unilaterally asking God, like as if Agur has nothing to do with it, right? God, just do this for me because, I mean, I can't help any of this. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think Agur does have responsibility to not be poor and not be rich. I think he has responsibility. He's just saying, God, please make sure that I live that way. So how can I help us today? live like Agor prayed. I got three applicational um, commitments I'd like to ask you to make this morning. Okay, so here's the first one. It deals with one side of this equation. I want to challenge you under God to be a hard worker and earn your living. I want to encourage you this morning to not be lazy, to not be slothful, to not be all about quick, get-rich programs. I'm about asking you to be a faithful, hardworking person because God blesses hard work. He blesses our diligence. He blesses our giving ourselves to work. And so this morning, if you don't want to be poor, you need to be a hard worker. You need to give yourself to your work, whatever it is. Now, there's other things that God's going to say that we're going to see in the weeks to come that I think will keep us in the sweet spot that Agur's praying for, right? To not have too much and not have too little. But if we're not to have too little, one of the things we have to be is committed to work. Those who work their land will have plenty of food, but those who chase dreams will be very poor. Proverbs 28, verse 19. So, the second, I'm going to take these out of order, so I'm going to change my order, Beth, okay? So I'm going to go to the third one. So if that's one side, here, here's what I want to challenge you in on the other side, okay? On the other side, I want to challenge you to not be rich, because if you're a hard worker, remember, hard worker and diligence brings prosperity, the Scripture says, So how do I not become so rich that I forget God? Here it is. Be a conduit of financial blessing to others with your excess. Care for the poor around you. Care for our brothers and sisters who have need. You'll be a conduit of blessing with your excess. Um, Now, here's the problem. (laughs) What's excess, right? I mean, if you're, cha- if, you're, if you're following with me mentally and logically, you've already asked yourself the question, well, what is excess? What is too much? And, uh, and I want to grant you that that is an arbitrary number, and it's somewhat ambiguous. Here's a survey from investment managers of the Newberg and Bergman financial whatever they do. They reveal that 55% of those who have assets ranging from a million to five million don't consider themselves wealthy. They have assets from one million to five million, and they don't consider themselves wealthy. Now, I imagine most of us in this room, if we had assets like that, we would be we'd be really happy with that. We might even consider ourselves, yeah, okay, I'm wealthy with those sort of assets. Rocker, John D. Rockefeller said, the oil tycoon from a generation or two ago, one of the wealthiest Americans of his time, he was supposedly asked, you know, what, how much money would make him happy? Anybody remember his answer? One dollar more. One dollar more. So I get it that this is, uh, this is somewhat ambiguous. But at the same time, I want to say that the enough number that we might think is enough, I think we, we're setting it a whole lot higher maybe than God would want to set it. That's all I want to say to you, right? That, that we're setting that number a lot higher. 
And I think this is what Agur's prayer is. Lord, don't let me set that number too high. Don't, don't, let me, don't let me hold on to too much money, lest I forget you. Paul told Timothy this. Now listen, this is really germane. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So, you know, you know, Paul's telling Timothy clothes and food are enough, right? I don't think he's trying to say that that's all we should have. But he says contentment with that, it's always, it's always enough. And so I really want to challenge all of you. On the one side, be a hard worker so that poverty doesn't come, so that you're being diligent in earning money and, and, and earning your support, etc. But on this side, I would say to you, be generous, Give of your excess. Don't, I mean, there's a, there, you got to determine the number between you and God. But be careful not to set the number up here, lest you forget God. Set your numbers so that you can be dependent on God. And it, and it reveals dependence on God. And the way to do that is to not be a hoarder, but to be a conduit of blessing to others with your finances. Listen to these verses. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's Proverbs 11.25. Now, we could say, well, that's, hey, if you give, I mean, this is what the prosperity preachers say all the time, right? Why should you give? Why does a prosperity preacher tell you to give? So you can get more, right? If you give, God's going to give you more. So if you want X plus Y, you give X, so God will give you back X plus Y. I, think that's, I don't think that's true. I don't think they're right. But this verse says, you give... And you'll be refreshed if you refresh others. And, and I think what God's talking about here is, you know, when you provide for someone who's struggling and they're really trying and you, and you provide for them, you, you not only provide for their needs, but you refresh their soul because God cares for me. God, God hasn't forgotten me because John rem remembered me and, and God, God used him to give me some money to provide for me. So you've refreshed that person. Here's what God says. I'm going to refresh your soul, too, when you're generous like that. Here's another one. Proverbs 14, 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 22, 9. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Again, I hope you see that, I mean, there's, there's a tension there. Hard work leads us out of poverty, but God recognizes there's poor in the world. And he calls those of us who have managed to find our way out of poverty, he, he says, don't forget these folks over here. Don't live so rich that you're forgetting these people. And the way to do that so that you don't forget God is that you be a, a channel of blessing to them. So let's go back now. I have, a, I have a third, which I had it in my order. I had it second, but I'm going to change it to my last one here. How do we live in the sweet spot of Agor's prayer from my perspective? And I think here's the, key, here's the third thing, and it's, it's key even. Learn the secret of being content with just enough. Learn the secret of, of finding contentment, you know, with with what Agar prays for. God, feed me with the bread that I need for today. Learn the secret to be content there. I don't mean apathetic. I don't mean, you know, that you're not a hard worker or planning and diligent and saving. and all. I mean, I'm going to talk all about those things in the days to come. But, but learn the secret of being content regardless of where you are financially. Because really, that's going to be the key 
That's going to be the key to, on this side anyway, that's going to be the key to not just adding and adding and adding and adding to my bank account is I learn to be content with, with what I have. Here's Paul to the Philippian church. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is to be, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be over here and lack need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Every situation, both those, okay? Poverty and, and having, having more than I need. I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, we take verse 13 out of context all the time, right? And we, we, we apply that to whatever's going on in our life. But the context of verse 13 is that I can be content whether I have a little bit or whether I have a lot. So, brothers and sisters, I really want to challenge all of us today to, uh, to find that place of moderation, to find that place of learning to be content with God providing for my needs. And you, you can't, you know, it's not, it's not just on God. We're asking God to help us with that, but you have responsibility in that as well. Amen. Don't make me either poor or rich. But give me only the bread I need each day. If you don't, I might have too much. And then I might say, I don't know you. I might say, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal. And then I would bring shame to the name of my God. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.